Thank you for checking out our message here at Public Church. We exist to develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. We want to make you aware of how we can better connect with you through our website, publicchurch.net. Through this, you can find out more about us as a church. We hope that you enjoy this message. Tonight, as we finish up our our two preview weeks of 530 gatherings, we also want to end our rebrand series. And all along, we've said that this is more than a series, it's really a journey. And that's not just like a, oh, it's a journey, like a little saying. It's really true for us, that for many of us who have walked through this, through this series, that it really is a journey. And if you're a guest, you may be thinking, oh, I came on the very last week of a series. Well, on our website, you can find all the talks of this series and every other series, and you can catch up with us. But what's happened for a lot of us is God has been rebranding us. And I know for me, my personal journey began all the way back on October 4th. And it's continued throughout this series. It's going to keep going as God is rebranding me from an overstressed perfectionist who is fighting God for control of his schedule to a driven, passionate leader who's living with an open-handed posture of surrender and trusting God to control my schedule. So I really enjoyed being able to share my journey last week. And so as we end this series today, we need to ask a question. Where do we go from here? All right, so we've been on this series, we've been on this journey, but where do we go from here? And and as we answer that question, the first thing we need to realize is the end of the series is not the end of the journey. The end of the series is not the end of the journey. I've been on this journey since October 4th, and I'm going to be on this series for a lot more October 4th. It's going to keep going because it's going to be a battle, and this is a process that we need to continue to engage in. So just because this series ends, the journey continues, and rebranding is really a lifelong process. And then secondly, as we end the series tonight, Jesus wants to rebrand our approach to life. So this isn't a talk that we just listen to, get something out of, and then move on. This is a talk that we should be struggling with 10 years from now. And that should be a good thing. Because if we're not struggling with the talk 10 years from now, that means one of two things have happened. Either we died or we stopped following Jesus. Like we checked out of the Jesus movement. Neither scenario is good. Can we agree with that? We don't want either scenario. Okay, we don't want to die. We want to keep following Jesus. So if we are still following Jesus 10 years from now, we are still going to be struggling with this, with rebranding our approach to life. And so if you're here today, another thing I really like about this talk is that there are layers. Maybe you walked in and you're not a Jesus follower, where there's a layer for you. Maybe you walked in and this is your first time and you're a guest and you're here for the end of the series. There's still a layer for you. If you're here and you're passionately following Jesus and spending time with him every day, there's a layer for you. And if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, but you're really distant and you feel like you don't even know where God's at, then there's also a layer for you. And finally, as we dive in this morning, this talk is, is really relevant. And I love that God's word just meets us exactly where we are. Because as we sit here tonight, a whole lot of us in this room are aiming towards spring break. How many of you have a spring break coming up within the next month? Make some noise. Yes. Lee starts us off, then Bradley County and Cleveland City spring break, then McMinn County and Hamilton spring break. I mean, it's just rolling through here. Now, how many teachers in the room are already asking the question, how long until summer? Anybody asking that question, teachers? You're like, forget spring break. I'm just ready for summer. How long until summer? Some of you, you may be a high school senior or a college senior, and you're asking the question, how long until what? 
graduation, right? Just a couple months down the road, graduation is coming. Others of you, you don't have spring break, you don't have graduation, you just go to work every day, and you're bitter, okay? I'm with you, I understand, all right? You're bitter, but I suspect that some of you who are bitter and don't have vacation or summer break to look forward to, you do have this, you know your next day off. Anybody in the room just want to say like, yes, I've already looked on the calendar, I know when the next planned day off is, and you can just say it. Easter, what else? Tuesday, wow, that's awesome. Your job. Uh, Somebody said Memorial Day. Like, you may not have spring break to look forward to your summer break, but you know when your next day off, you may not even know what day it is, but you know the day your vacation starts, don't we? We just have these things to look forward to. Some of you in this room, actually, how many of you in the room are single? Raise your hands for just a minute. You're single. Look around. Can I get a survey of your prospects, options? Kind of kidding. Some of you are like, hey, could you guys raise your hands again? Really? Higher? Could we put some light in like this area? Just really, you know, like, but here's the thing. Some of you are single and you're asking the question, how long till I meet him? How long till I meet her? How long until I get married? Some of you guys, you're married and either you're asking this question or your parents or in-laws are asking the question, how long until you what? Have a baby. And then some of you have babies, some of you have kids and your in-laws are asking the question, when are you going to have Another baby. How long do you have more kids? See, there's all these things that we are looking forward to. Maybe you're in elementary school and you're thinking, man, how long until I get a cell phone? You're like in middle school, high school, and you're like, when do I get a car? Remember that? Like, oh, I can't wait to get a car. I'll be an adult. I'll be so cool. See, we spend our lives looking forward to things. So real quick, take a moment and just somebody around you say, hey, here's something I'm looking forward to. Ready? Go. Retirement. That was awesome. (laughs) All right, as you're finishing up those conversations, some of you, so you had really lofty goals. Some of you were just like, cookout. Dinner. I'm going there afterwards. Really, like just dinner. My life's that simple. You know, I'm just looking forward to dinner. But the thing is, it's very, it's very normal for us to look forward to things. It's very normal for us to set goals, to make plans, anticipate breaks and vacations and milestones. This is all normal. This is all good. But in this, there is a danger. Sometimes we spend so much time looking forward to the next thing that we actually miss the now thing. Sometimes we can actually spend so much time looking forward to the next thing that we miss the now thing. It is possible to spend the majority of our lives waiting, anticipating, and miss out on what is going on right here and right now. When I was in high school and college, I worked with my dad, and he worked at Cleveland Utilities, which is our local electric and water company, and I worked with him in the summers, and our hours were 7 to 3.30. Yes, that's early, so 7 to 3.30, and, and he was the storeroom manager, and that means that he handled a lot of the supplies and, and purchased things, and so guys that worked on the power lines, that build the power lines, repair them, they would come into the storeroom and get supplies for my dad. So one day, uh, it was a morning, and it was between 7 and 8 in the morning. It was real early. And so this guy came in to get some supplies. said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, waiting on 3.30. It's like, it's not Friday. 
It's not 2.30. You've been here for like 30 minutes. And you're already like, I'm just waiting on 3.30. Wow. You may have met people and you ask them like, how are you doing? They're like, 13 more years and I'm out of here. (laughs) And like if you press them like behind their desk, there's this calendar and they're like marking down the days. You know, it's like, what? I mean, can we just agree that that's a miserable way to live? A miserable way to live if we're just waiting on 3.30 or 15 more years to retirement. But it's so easy for us to have a when I get there mindset. Even though we can look at others and say, ah, I don't really want to live like that. That's not good. Still, it's so easy for us to get caught up in this when I get there mindset. In high school and college, especially if you're a senior, it's really hard to stay engaged that last semester. For some of you, you've been there, maybe you're there right now, and it's like your body goes to class, but your mind has never, ever attended. Like you have no attendance with your mind. But, but here's the thing. What if you're a high school senior? And what if your math teacher could possibly write the letter of recommendation to get you into the college that you want to go to? So what would that letter say? Would that letter say, finish strong, show up every day and work with excellence, or mentally, hasn't even been there a single day or maybe you're in college and and, oh my goodness graduation is so close I just can't wait but what if that professor whose class you skip whose class you're just never engaged in what if he has a connection that can get you the internship that can then lead to the job that you really want but if you never show up physically or mentally if you never get to know that professor you may miss out on that connection that provides the internship that provides the job. It's sometimes it's easy for us to get so focused on the next thing that we miss the now thing. So when we have a when I get there approach to life. We're living our lives consumed with there, thinking about when I arrive. And the toughest piece of this mindset that we often fall into is the regrets piece. Maybe you're here tonight and you're married and you spent the majority of your time as a single person Hating singleness, longing to be married, seeing other people that were in love and thinking, oh, that just makes me so mad. Why can't I have that? And you just spent all your time wanting to be married. And now that you're married, you're thinking, singleness doesn't look so bad. I could travel. I could shop. I could spend money however I want to. I could pursue my career, get a higher education. And what happens is when you were single, all you could think of is when I get there. And then when you get there, you're still discontent. And filled with regret. Some of you got through college really quick. Like you busted it to get through college. Because you wanted to get that job. Get that real paycheck. So you could get the house. Get the car. Do the deal. I mean you busted it to get there. And now all of a sudden you're in a job. And it's. I mean you're there 8 to 5. No questions asked. Sometimes 8 to 6. Sometimes 7 to 6. And you have zero flexibility. And you look back on college. Which you were trying to get out of. And you think man. It was hard. I had to work really hard, but I worked on my own schedule. I could take a nap when I wanted to. I could stay up when I wanted to. I could study when I wanted to. And so now you're stuck, and you've got to ask your boss when you go to the bathroom. And you're like, oh, my goodness. This is terrible. And so you're spending your time in your little cubicle at your desk, and you're just looking for master's programs. You're like, online? No, I want to get on a campus. Like, I want to get back there. Because, see, if we spend our whole life thinking about when we get there, then when we do arrive, we're still going to be filled with regret. Some of you may have spent a large portion of your marriage just waiting on having a baby. 
And all you can think about is when we have a kid, when we have a kid, and you're so focused on when I get there, when we have a kid, and now you've got a kid. And you look at all the people that are married without kids, and they go to Chattanooga whenever they want. They sleep in for Jesus whenever they want. And maybe you're thinking, you're thinking, 17 and a half years. <laughs> and then we're free, right? But again, this is not the way we want to live. So the crux of our problem is that our approach to life must be rebranded. Otherwise, we will live with the when I get there mindset. And we will spend most of our time waiting on there. And when we get there, we'll still be looking for the next there. And we will never be content. In the words of the modern day philosopher, poet, and hip-hop legend, Jay-Z, we will always be on to the next one, right? I don't think that's how we want to live our life. I don't think we want to live our life just constantly on to the next one. But yet it's so easy for us to fall into this trap. So what Jesus wants to do is he wants to rebrand our whole approach to life away from a when I get there to a here and now I'm going to engage mindset. And one of our core values speaks to that. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to invite us to read it together. Ready? Go. We strategically engage wherever we are to point people to Jesus. So when I say a here mindset, a here approach to life, this is what it means. It means that wherever we are, we engage, that we point people to Jesus, that location is irrelevant for us. No matter where we find ourselves, we are consistently engaging and pointing people to Jesus. And as I said, this talk has layers. So if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, then just delete the last five words and just say we strategically engage wherever we are. Because even if we just do that, there are huge benefits to being fully present in the here and now. In fact, in my life, the person who's had the greatest influence on how I lead our church is not a pastor, it's not somebody else in ministry, it's Damon Floyd, who's the head football coach at Bradley Central High School. He's taught me more about leadership from observing, from talking to him than anybody else in my whole life, and thankfully I'm still able to coach under him and still learn from him. But if I was at football with a when I get there mindset of I'm just kind of doing football, but I'm just waiting on there, and I'm just looking for there, and I'm looking for the next thing, then I might have missed all that wisdom and all those lessons that I get to continually learn from him. There are benefits to living with a here and now mindset. And in fact, this core value has been part of our DNA from the very beginning. The first time I ever got to give a talk as part of our church was on February 2nd, 2014, a little over three years ago. And this core value that we need to strategically engage wherever we are, it was actually a part of that talk. In fact, one thing I said is this. You may not be where you want to be in your career, but have you considered that God may have you where you're supposed to be? That you may not be where you want to be, but have you considered that God may have you where you're supposed to be? And the point was that we need to engage wherever we are. See, from the beginning, this has been part of our DNA. And core values, what they do is they drive us. They motivate us. So we can make mistakes because we're going to try things and fail and, and mistakes, that, that those are just part of the process of growing. But when we make mistakes outside our core values, we violate who we are. We actually lose part of our core identity. So for us to fulfill the God-given, our God-given vision, 
we must live out this core value. We must let it motivate us. From the beginning, it's been part of us. We must continue to strategically engage wherever we are to point people to Jesus. Now, it's one thing to know that we need to do that. It's another thing to know how to do that. And thankfully, in the Bible, there's a guy named Paul, and he takes a journey. And as we track with him on his journey tonight, then we can see what it really means to live out this core value and to have a here and now mindset. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can turn or click over to Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Acts chapter 23, verse 11. And here's a little background on Paul as you're turning or clicking there. When Paul first enters the story of the Bible, he hated Jesus' followers. He collaborated in their murders, arrested them, really tried to just make life miserable for them. To wrap our minds around who Paul was at the beginning, if he was alive today, we would label him a terrorist. And he wasn't just a solo act. He was part of a terrorist network composed of Jews whose goal was to erase the name of Jesus from history. Now, not all Jews were terrorists. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there was a section of the Jews, and their goal was to erase the name of Jesus from history. So Paul, he persecuted. He terrorized Jesus' followers. And in fact, one day he's on his way to arrest And just beat up and make life miserable for some Jesus followers. But Jesus appeared to him. And when he encountered Jesus, everything changed. He went from trying to kill Jesus followers to being a Jesus follower. And spreading the story of Jesus all over the world. So when we pick up Paul's story here in Acts 23. He has traveled through most of the known world. Spreading the story of Jesus. Starting churches. Developing and empowering other leaders. And at this point in his life, God has a specific journey that he wants Paul to go on. So in Acts 23, verse 11, here's what the word of God says. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So for Paul, there's a clearly defined destination. What is it? Where is Paul headed? Rome. Paul is going to Rome. No questions asked. Why is he going to Rome? To testify to the facts about Jesus. He's going to Rome to point people to Jesus. He knows why he's going. He has a clearly defined destination. So at this point, some of you in the room relate to Paul. Others of you in the room don't like Paul. Some of you relate to Paul because you have a clearly defined destination. You're headed towards graduation. You're headed towards marriage because you're engaged. You're headed towards that promotion. Some of you know where you're headed. You can say, okay, I'm going to Rome, whatever your Rome is. Others of you, you really don't like Paul because you would love to have some direction. Like what makes him so special that Jesus appears to him and tells him where he's going? Why can't Jesus appear to me and tell me that? I would love to know where I'm going. All I know is I don't like where I'm at. I'd love to have some direction. And the fact is that in our lives, we'll be at both places. Sometimes we're going to know where there is. And we're clearly defined goal. Other times, we're not going to know exactly where we are headed. But either way, there are lessons that we can learn from Paul. Because here's one thing that we must notice. He knows where he's going. We're going to go back to that scripture. He knows where he's going. He knows why he's going there. But in this verse, it never says how. And it never says when. It doesn't say how he's going to get to Rome, and it doesn't say when he's going to get to Rome. And what that teaches us ever so subtly 
is that even when we are at a point in our life that we know the destination, we don't know all the details. This requires us to trust God. We just sang about it, that we trust you, that we trust him. And the reality is we can't just sing about it in here. We actually have to live that out in our lives. See, we're never going to know all the details. And that requires us to put our faith in God. There's a word that we use to describe God that means that he's in control. And that word is sovereign. And we believe that, that God is sovereign. That means that he sits on the throne of the universe. And he knows everything that's going to happen. He's not looking in your life and going, whoa, didn't see that happening. No, he sees it all coming. He's in control. Now, yes, there are bad things that happen. That just He allows to happen. That just happen because our world is broken. But God is still in control. He knows what's happening. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you may not be able to take that big leap to say God is sovereign, that he is in control. But maybe you can disagree with me on this. You're not in control. And you may say, I don't know whoever or whatever is in control, but I know it's not me. And I think we can all agree on that. So if we're going to live with a here and now mindset, the first thing we have to realize is that we are not in control. And then we want to look at what happens next in the story. See, here's what happens next in the story. Paul gets out his iPhone. He actually goes to his Expedia app. He books a flight to Rome. He shows up at the airport and gets bumped up to first class. God is so good. Mm, hallelujah. On the plane, he gets fed. He arrives in Rome. A limo picks him up, and he is just in his destination. Okay, maybe that's not what the Bible says because they didn't have planes. But sometimes we're like, okay, maybe he gets on a ship, and it's not like you know a Royal Caribbean cruise, but it's like the predecessor of the Royal Caribbean cruise, and Paul just makes it to Rome, and he's tanned when he gets there because he's been bathing on the ship's deck, and he's just like, woo, here I am, Rome. God's led me there. That's not what happens next. What happens next in the story? Jesus says, Paul, you're going to Rome, and then a hit is taken out on Rome. Some assassins literally take out a hit on Rome, and they say, we're not going to eat or drink until we have killed Paul. They take out a hit on him. It's unbelievable. And so what we see is that adversity is going to come. But in the midst of that hit on Rome, what's incredible is that Paul's nephew just so happens to hear about the plot. And he tells Paul, who tells the guard, and Paul's life is spared. Just to remind us that when Jesus says you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome. It doesn't matter when adversity comes. It doesn't matter that the hits come. When Jesus says, here's where you're going, you're going there because he's sovereign and he's in control. But then as we continue the story, and if we were to keep reading, what happens is there's these references to time. It says two years elapsed, and three days after, not more than eight to ten days, and Paul waits one more day, and some days passed, and tomorrow, and at some point, and after three months. And I believe that God caused the author to put all these references to time in the text to remind us that Paul is really trapped in a period of waiting. Yes, Jesus showed up and said, Paul, you're going to Rome, but then Paul gets stuck and he's not stuck for days he's not stuck for weeks not for months he's stuck for years waiting he knows that he's going to get there but yet he's stuck so do you ever feel stuck you ever had a place in your life where you just feel like you're stuck you're stuck in a dead-end job stuck in a bad marriage stuck in singleness when you want to be married stuck in a lack of children when you want children 
Often in life, we find ourselves stuck and our lives feel like a prison. For Paul, his life didn't just feel like a prison. He was in prison, literally. Even though Jesus had said, you're going to Rome, he's in prison. So when we're stuck, we've got to ask ourselves a question. If we want to live with a here and now mindset, if we want Jesus to rebrand our approach to life, then when we're stuck, we ask the question, when we are stuck, will we strategically engage to point people to Jesus? When we are stuck, Will we strategically engage to point people to Jesus? Because here's what happens in the story. Paul, Paul's stuck, and because he's stuck, he has to stand trial before several different people. That's part of Roman tradition, that if somebody accuses you, you get to defend yourself. And so one day, Paul is standing trial, and he notices his audience. He looks around, and there's prominent men in the city. There's leaders of the city. And if they're there, that means that all of their servants are there as well. It, the text actually says that there's people great and small. And Paul looks around and he says, mm, this is a moment that I can strategically engage to point people to Jesus. And he gets to stand up and defend himself. And guess what he does? He shares the story of Jesus. He talks about Jesus coming to earth. Jesus dying on the cross as the penalty for our mistakes. Three days later, Jesus rising from the dead. And when Paul finishes talking... Look with me in Acts chapter 26. Listen to what they ask Paul. In Acts 26, verse 28, one of the leaders, Agrippa, said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? In other words, Paul, I think you're trying to talk me into following Jesus. And Paul says, yep. <laughs> he says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul looks around. Even though he's stuck, he recognizes his audience and he seizes the moment to point people to Jesus. So who's your audience? Maybe you're in a place where you're stuck. Who's your audience? Everybody has somebody looking up to them. Everybody has somebody that we have influence over. Everybody has someone that maybe you lead at work or you're over them in your role, in your sphere of influence. Who is your audience? And when we get stuck, will we just accept that we can't get ourselves unstuck because we're not God and he's in control and there's nothing we can do besides in that moment, right here, notice our audience and strategically engage to point them to Jesus. That's exactly what Paul does. And then finally, finally, Paul gets on a ship and he's headed to Rome and Paul's got to think, woo! yes I've been waiting I've been stuck I'm unstuck I'm going to Rome and guess what happens he gets shipwrecked unbelievable it's like Paul come on he finally is on his way to Rome and then pfft. you ever feel like that maybe you walked in today and you just feel like you're shipwrecked you've been fighting for your marriage working fighting and then you walk in and there's divorce papers on the counter. You've been working for that promotion, working. You finally get the interview. And you kill it. You interview well. And at the end, you find out you didn't get the job. You wanted a baby. You finally get pregnant. And then you have a miscarriage. Life's just going. You're doing your thing. And then you get a diagnosis. Your mom gets a diagnosis. Your dad gets a diagnosis. And there's only a few months left sometimes in our lives we just get shipwrecked and we look around and all we can see 
is just wreckage. But in that moment, when we are shipwrecked, will we strategically engage to point people to Jesus? Because that's what Paul did. And Paul did it by demonstrating faith. In the middle of the shipwreck, and even leading up to the shipwreck, Paul showed faith. And it wasn't this naive, pie-in-the-sky faith, like, well, guys, it's going to be all right. No, we're all going to be okay. No, he's like, hey, the ship is going to wreck. It's going to be rough. Pain is unavoidable because that's our lives. Sometimes the shipwreck's going to come. Pain is unavoidable. We can't skip out on it. It's not always going to work out the way we want it to. But Paul says, in the midst of the shipwreck, here's what I know. Jesus said, I'm going to Rome. Jesus is sovereign. So if Jesus said, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to Rome. And because God is incredible, he has granted all of you safe passage to Rome with me. So yes, the ship's going down. Yes, the pain is unavoidable. But we're all going to survive and end up in Rome together. And because Paul demonstrated faith in the midst of just the wreckage of his life, he inspired the other men. And not only did he demonstrate faith, he also worked for the common good. Paul's given them advice and saying, hey, let's throw this overboard. Hey, let's do this. And then once they get shipwrecked, they all wash up on an island. They all survive. God protects them. And as they wash up on the island, Paul actually gets an opportunity to heal people. God uses him to heal people. And Paul is serving, working for the common good. In other words, by his actions and by his words, Paul is strategically engaging to point people to Jesus in the midst of the wreckage. So will we do that? Even when our lives are just filled with wreckage and we look around and we don't even know where to begin picking up the pieces. Will we show faith? We say, God, I, I trust you. And I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I trust you that there's a why. And I trust you that you're in control. So God, use me and use this mess however you can. And in the midst of the mess, would we continue to work and serve for the common good so that it's our words and our actions that are pointing people to Jesus. And then in Paul's story, he finally arrives. And if we're going to live with the here and now mindset, the final question we have to ask is, when we arrive, will we point people to Jesus? When we arrive, will we strategically point people to Jesus? Now here's the catch with Paul. He ends up in Rome. And when he ends up in Rome, he's in prison. Look, for those of you who know your destination, I hope it's not prison, right? You're like, oh, I know where I'm going. Hopefully it's not like, well, I'm just making my way to prison. Hopefully that's not it, but that's what it was for Paul. His illustrious destination was prison. And what that meant is he had a soldier with him 24-7. A lot of people think that he was literally chained to Paul. We do know for sure that he was in the same room with Paul all the time. Paul was never, ever by himself. But listen to what Paul said about prison, about the shipwreck, about being stuck in Philippians chapter 1. And notice, we can't miss the fact that Paul actually writes these words. He writes this letter while he's in prison in Rome. He's arrived and here's what he says. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Think about that. He says, all the time I was stuck, the shipwreck, 
all the pain, now that I'm in prison, this guy's with me, everything that has happened to me has served to advance the story of Jesus. And then he says this, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Here's what Paul's letting us know. He's saying, hey, they think I'm a captive, but really this guy with me all the time is captive. Because he's got to stay with me. And he can't leave. And he's captive to me pointing him to Jesus. And the best part is they have shift changes. So he leaves and another guy comes in. And then that guy leaves and another guy comes in. And then eventually the same guy comes back to me and I say, hey, have you thought about what I told you about Jesus? Let's keep the conversation going. And as Paul told soldier after soldier after soldier about Jesus, says the whole imperial guard began to know the story of Jesus. For Paul, whatever happened to him, wherever he was, advance the story of Jesus. What if that was said of us? What if that was said of our church? What if people looked at our lives and said, for her, for him, for them, whatever happens to them advances the story of Jesus. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter if they're stuck, if they're shipwrecked, or if they've arrived in their destination. Whatever happens serves to advance the story of Jesus. That was Paul's story, and that can be ours today. And then in verse 14, Paul writes this. He said, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here's what he's saying. That when we strategically engage to point people to Jesus wherever we are, others are inspired to do the same. Suddenly, it wasn't just Paul in the prison. It was all the other Jesus followers anywhere around the prison that were telling people about Jesus. We can inspire others to live this out, and that's what it means to be a public church. That location is irrelevant, adversity is really irrelevant, that whatever happens, it serves to advance the story of Jesus. And here's the secret to engaging when we arrive. Here's the secret to really living that out. Whatever we do here, we're going to do when we get there. The reason Paul pointed people to Jesus when he was in Rome is because he pointed people to Jesus when he was stuck, and he pointed people to Jesus when he shipwrecked, and it became a habit. That's why we can't think when I get there, oh, I'll do that when I get there. No, because when we get there, we'll do whatever we've been doing all along. We'll just live out our habits. So what God wants to do in us today, here, in this moment, is he wants to begin to rebrand us and develop in us the habit of strategically engaging wherever we are, in your school, in your place of work, in your home, so that when we get to the destination, whatever that is, we just keep doing what we've been doing all along. So that's the challenge. And that's why this talk is just an introduction into a struggle that's going to be going on 10, 20, and 30 years from now. As long as we follow Jesus, it's going to be a battle to strategically engage here. But would we all in this room take one step forward in that battle tonight? Would we move in our journey closer to living in the here and now? And if you need to talk to somebody, there's going to be someone underneath the exit sign from the refuge room that would love to pray or talk with you. 
If you need to surrender to Jesus for the very first time, then just tell him. Jesus, I surrender and tell somebody else before you leave. But for every single one of us in the room, let's evaluate what we can do tomorrow to begin to strategically engage right where God has us to show Jesus. Father, I thank you for the example of Paul. I thank you for this journey that he was on, that even though though he knew he was going to Rome, he still engaged when he was stuck and in the shipwreck. So, Father, I ask that right now in this response time, open our eyes to see our audience. Show us who in our life is looking up to us. God, I pray that right now you would increase our faith. You would help us to trust you even when we don't see the end and we don't know the why that we would trust you anyway. And Father, in this moment, would you show us ways that we can work for the common good tomorrow so our actions and our words point people to you. Jesus, may it be said of us that whatever happens and wherever we are, your story is advanced. Show us how to take a step towards living in that reality right now.